nobody believed the way that the drug problem was being dealt with in Philadelphia was affected. No one thought that making you know hundreds of arrests every month in certain areas of the city was doing anything at all. Basically, what you were doing is if you're arresting people that were just getting replaced by someone else, um, or maybe even being out on the street like a day later and still doing the same thing. So there wasn't any intervention taking place that could potentially stop the cycle that was happening. This is where policy meets people. I'm Kristen Rantanen. At the top of the show, you heard from Ed McCann, the first assistant district attorney in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Prior to his current position, he spent 26 years in Philadelphia's district attorney's office, where he championed a then little-known diversion program for first-time nonviolent felony drug sellers facing one to two-year prison sentences. This program is called The Choice is Yours, also known as TCY. Upon successful completion, TCY offers graduates the opportunities to have their criminal records expunged, permanently removing the stigma of a criminal record. This program, which is run by Jeff's Human Services, is celebrating its 10th year. On this episode, we're talking about how and why this program came to be. We'll also meet three young people participating in The Choice is Yours, all with hopes to complete and erase a felony from their records. Felony convictions have long-term consequences and are often referred to as economic death sentences. To go back to the start of TCY, I asked Ed McCann about the then radical idea of focusing on diversion for felonies as opposed to incarceration. In terms of that whole concept of diversion, it was kind of a foreign concept in Philadelphia prior to when Seth Williams got elected DA and took office in 2010. He and I were friendly before he became the district attorney. We used to talk about that issue, that the, that there really wasn't diversion, that a lot of cases were coming into court that arguably shouldn't be coming into court. When he got elected, he really spent a lot of time studying what he felt he wanted to do when he took office in terms of diversion. He wanted to be really robust. In fact, he did a lot of traveling around the country to talk to other district attorneys and people in prosecution and in law enforcement about successful diversion programs and what they looked like. When he was on that tour, he met uh, Kamala Harris and she was the district attorney of um, San Francisco at that time. I think this is right before she became the attorney general in California. Mm -hmm. He spoke with her about this idea. And of course, it was contained within the book that she wrote around that time called um, Smart on Crime which he actually gave to all of us. That, that was one of the centerpieces. That's the first time I heard about it when he was talking with me about and speaking with her about this idea and wanting to do it in Philadelphia. Let's talk about why diversion programs are so important in offices like yours. You know, you go out to the community and you talk to folks. It's, it's one of the first questions you get asked. What do you guys do concerning diversion? Mm-hmm. I mean, that and it's juvenile justice issues that I think are most on a lot of folks in the community's mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to have those types of programs where you have the culture where you're willing to give people a second chance. Um, I think it's really important for people to see that. And I think it, I think that definitely develops trust over time. If, if you have the reputation of being an office that... Um, 
has programs that divert people out of the criminal justice system that are d- deserving um, and that y- you show a side of your office that, that shows not just law and order, but some compassion as well. Given your career as a prosecutor, you've, you've had a front row seat to the war on illicit drugs. Yeah. What's changed about how we deal with drug offenses over the years? And, and what do you think precipitated those changes? A few things, I think. Some of the change is a byproduct of, unfortunately, the opioid epidemic came into the white community. That, I think, caused a lot more people to see people that looked like them struggling with addiction and all the issues surrounding it. I mean, that's unfortunate because obviously that didn't exist in the in the 80s when this ramp up of the war on drugs and more draconian penalties. Treatment discussion has definitely uh, increased significantly since the opioid epidemic took place. And frankly, mm-hmm. I think it's in, in large part because legislatures are are responding to people in their communities that are saying that they want it, they want to see this type of change. At the time that TCY was launched, there were actually mandatory minimums in place for the offenses that TCY was was designed to to deal with. So that that's something else that's changed too, right? Definitely. Even before TCY, there was sort of ad hoc efforts to handle at least the one-year mandatory cases differently because everyone recognized that, you know, two grams of cocaine is such a small amount of drugs and people were looking at one-year state prison sentences for that type of type of um, possession with intent to deliver. So even before TCY, there was a, a view of those cases that was maybe different than other folks that had maybe more drugs that they possessed. But there wasn't there wasn't anything accompanying that idea that maybe we should treat those cases differently that we that we got with TCY, which is all the array of um, services that, you know, Jevs provides to these folks. Once I got informed on TCY, I would just I was just real skeptical a little bit. This is Jason. He's 24 years old. He was picked up at a corner deli during a random sweep and charged with possession with intent to deliver, a felony charge. I started having ties with people in the streets and things like that. And one thing led to the next, and then I was at the wrong place at the wrong time. I knew deep down this wasn't how my life was supposed to end up being. Yeah. How much time my mom and I got locked up. It's like a, 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 a curse. Uncle been locked up. My dad been locked up cousins been locked up so it's like so many different people been locked up and my family is like when you don't get locked up there's a lot more pressure on you as an individual because the family expect a lot of more out of you because you didn't go through that process yet so when I went through it it was a basically a big letdown on my family With the child on the way, he had no idea how he was going to afford the legal and court fees he was accruing and with a life-altering conviction looming, his situation felt hopeless. Until he learned about TCY. On my court day, I ran into somebody that I knew from the streets. We started exchanging words. He like, yeah, TCY is a good program, bro. I'm about to graduate. I've been in this for a year. You know, from there, he gave me the hope. He kind of gave me like that comfort. Like, all right, let me, I'm going to go forward, forward with it. Like, 
I know out of all people, he not going to just tell me anything or just, you know, just to say any old thing, just to get me to just go along with it because he did it. And let's talk about the sort of the early days. Were there any sort of aha moments in the early days of TCY? Some things you learned about yourself that surprised you? Um, yeah, just mainly the structure that um, the, the 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 course manager, Mister George. Yep. He uh, mm-hmm. focused a lot on something called I am. I am is a part of the group therapy and mentoring services provided by TCY, along with job training, job placement case management, and support to meet a community service requirement. I think that right there uh, was something real powerful for me. It touched me because uh, at the time I was lost mentally because I lost everything. Uh, My car was taken from me. Uh, All my savings was just down the drain. So everything was just tight. So it kind of made me uncomfortable, like I was walking on nails. And learning about I am and getting back to self, that that taught me a lot. I feel like I feel like I had to restart my brain. Like going through that prison system is hard to just kind of get back in a normal uh, mindset. It just really was a reflection on yourself, reflection on self being and being able to make decisions at the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's hard for a, a young black kid or a Puerto Rican or an Asian kid that's from the inner city or even white kid that's from the inner city or when all they grew up around was people doing dope and right. people selling drugs and the drug dealers driving around in nice cars and they got this chain on or they got this this pretty girl with them. And you become blinded to the normal decision-making and everything just involved within that block and that circumference. And that was the process that, just that connection with Mr. Clark really got you back to a better place? Yes. Mm-hmm. Slowly but surely. TCY, they make a big deal out of, out of the important things I noticed like when I first started, like family, family vibes. When I say vibes, meaning people just coming in and just opening up just talking you know let let us know how your day went like don't hold nothing back Mm -hmm. you know everybody here we family and that's what mr george always kind of expressed and that kind of right there alone that was another thing that kind of got me comfortable the opportunities for young people to engage with people that look like them and have experiences like them instead of the current arrest jail probation model could really start to add that layer of equitable jail reduction or equitable justice. This is Kirby Garrity, Justice Initiatives Program Manager at the National League of Cities. I think for so long we've done things the same way and we're recognizing over the last decade or so that that those things really haven't worked. So specifically when we think about young adults We really need to specifically cater programs and also policies to to this population who sadly are are often arrested and jailed at higher rates than everyone else. TCY is one way to do that, to give young people an opportunity to connect with caring and supportive adults. That's something that we hear all the time is that's the number one thing about TCY and other programs that keeps young adults engaged is that there are those caring and supportive and relatable people to connect with. And that's just a far better option than locking people up, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that it's just necessary to 
think about diversion generally, but also think very critically about our young adult population. There was a time in this country's history when rehabilitation was a larger part of the of our prison policy. Then that disappeared in favor of mandatory minimums and zero tolerance policies, policies that certainly had a disproportionate negative impact on on people of color, in particular young people of color. I hope that we're shifting away from those policies. Can you talk a little bit about those philosophical shifts? You know, I too hope that we're going to continue <laughs> those shifts. I think at some point we moved from utilizing jails and prison as a space for rehabilitation to just a warehouse for everything. That also plays a role in kind of the role of police as well, right? So police have become the answer to mental health, substance use, homelessness, and all of that kind of filters in now to our local jails and then in some cases moves into prison. So rather than providing a space where people have options for vocational training and rehabilitation and treatment and therapy. You know, jails just became a warehouse for, for people who are struggling in one capacity or another. And I think that shift just, um, you know, part of it could be based on, you know, even back to the 80s and the crack epidemic and even closing state mental health facilities. Um, yep. Not saying that was a right or wrong decision, but it did contribute to that population being filtered into jails as well. So I think we just... Um, created a holding place for people mm-hmm. um, and then would release them sometimes to probation or parole, but without a solid plan for what's next. So just continuing a cycle of incarceration. And over time, people realize one, that's very costly, two, it's ineffective, and three, it just isn't good for people. There was just not a strong reason to continue to operate in a way that lends to mass incarceration. Diversion, deflection alternatives have become more and more prevalent. So my hope is that. Um, in working with cities, you know, I, I have some confidence in that um, this can springboard further efforts like TCY and other diversion programs and dig into that community-led and community-centered work. That would really impact the Black and Brown communities that are often areas that are over-policed and, and under-resourced. We really need to engage community in these conversations around policy and practice and stop making decisions without community involvement um, and participation. And, and as we start to think about adjusting policies to bail and probation, parole, and, and implementing programs uh, like TCY, there's a lot of positive growth happening. And I think that TCY proves that felony diversion is possible and it's, it's inspiring to other cities to kind of push their, their elected officials and push people in their city to think differently about felony diversions. The, the Philadelphia court system is definitely a jungle. and It's not a place you want to be. This is Trey Jin, or Trey as his friends call him. He's 21 years old. He started The Choice is Yours in 2020. I asked him what it felt like to have the possibility of a felony conviction looming over him and his future. It just put everything in perspective in, in terms of what I wanted to do and you know my future. And so it was a huge slap in the face, but one that definitely woke me up for sure and made me realize who I was as a person. Because I think a lot of you know people you know, face that and go, crap, what do I do now? This is it. I'm a, I'm a felon now. I might as well be a felon. And I think that's the mentality that a lot of people around me had growing up. And that's the one that might've got me in trouble um, in the first place. But that's when I had to ditch after I got in trouble. So I kind of decided who I wanted to be as a person after that. Let's take a step back and talk about where you grew up. Yeah, I was born and raised in Philly. I come from a biracial background. My dad is black and my mom is white. 
So, I mean, growing up, it was kind of a little bit different for me. I didn't necessarily have kind of like one group of friends of one race. Everyone was mixed. And, um, you know, growing up in Philly, mm-hmm. it, that's not super common. I mean, um, it's definitely a city, but at the same time, there is a, a good amount of um, separation between, I guess, you know, areas of the city and races and um, the poverty and, and whatnot. Yeah, so I, I kind of had a, mm-hmm. a lot of opportunities to, to do a lot of great things that a lot of kids may not have the opportunity to do. In the beginning, I was kind of unsure about my identity. Um, you know, throughout school, I did kind of, you know, find myself in the principal's office a lot. It was just kind of, I was always unfocused. Trey attended Girard Area Music Program, a public magnet school in South Philadelphia, where he was an accomplished pianist. In the ninth grade, he transferred to the elite private institution, the William Penn Charter School, and athletics, specifically football, became his extracurricular activity of choice. After graduating from high school, he landed a football scholarship to Ursinus College. Eventually, hubris clouded Trey's judgment. I got in trouble a ton as a kid. I was not by any means like a, a good kid. I was getting in trouble. I was getting good grades, playing football, doing my thing. I was just, you know, being dumb at the same time. I got to college and that's kind of when um, school just kind of fell apart. And, you know, when I was on my own, I just started making poor decisions. I got through my freshman year at your sinus, played football. Then in my sophomore year, uh, ended up getting in a lot of trouble. Got kicked out of your sinus for for selling drugs, selling weed. And, and, um, that was tough because, I mean, you you get taken out, you know, by police in front of your whole university with your roommate. It's it's embarrassing feeling. It's 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 one that not many people I think are used to. When you struggle with identity, you think you can have everything. You think you can be the football player, you know, the big drug dealer. You think you can um, get the good grades, get all the girls. You think you can do it all, but you know that's that's not really a a possibility. I mean, you can't have it all. Um, and if you do, it's not going to last. And some of it's illegal. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. it kind of took everything falling apart for me to realize that's not who you should be. And that's not who Mm -hmm. you should want to be. And when I got, you know, uh, expelled from school, everything kind of became clear to me. That's exactly what I needed. Came back home and um, started working and, um, etched out a goal from, for myself and one that, um, you know, I'm going to put into fruition. So let's talk about the program. It sounds like that's a really important part of, of the journey that you're on. Having that, that support system of people around you that want to see you succeed and, um, you know, want the best for you is, is vital, you know, to any, to anybody and whatever they're doing. My favorite are the, are the, uh, Friday focus groups, um, getting together with some of the other participants on zoom and, just being able to hear the voices of other people in, in a similar position puts things into perspective a ton. I learned a lot from from my other, uh, you know, my colleagues in the TCY program, and uh, that's that's kind of where I'm at right now in life is just taking everything in and working towards my ultimate goal, and also learning, taking a ton of time to myself, um, time that I didn't necessarily have before in school, um, you know, to to reflect and to really grow as a person. I think that's what I needed. It's, I, it's, it's really kind of insane how much I've matured kind of 
after leaving school and um, you know being in TCY program, being on my own and and kind of having a, a path for success um, paved through the TCY program is I thank God every yeah, yeah. it's it's crazy. I always wanted to get clean, but I was scared. I didn't know how, I didn't know where to go. In 2019, I was arrested five times in three different states, three different counties, two in Delaware, one in, in New Jersey, and then I was arrested twice in Philly, which are my felony counts that I'm in TCY for. This is Katie. She's 34 years old. She just enrolled in TCY. Her journey to the program was harrowing, but sadly not unique in a country where, according to federal estimates, 10.1 million people aged 12 and older misused opioids in 2019. Katie grew up in South Jersey, but an unstable home life meant she was out on her own at a young age. My parents divorced young, and my mom has mental health issues, so I grew up with a lot of emotional trauma over that. And then when I was 18, she kicked me out and I haven't spoken to her since. I mean, I was so lost and it just, I couldn't get through college. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I dropped out and started working and have never gone back since. I started working at Wawa. That was like my first job ever. When I was working at Wawa, I had a shoulder injury happen and I was on workers comp. And so when I was in workers comp for Wawa, they started prescribing me Percocets. Ah, uh, here's Percocets. Here's yeah. Percocets. Here's Percocets. And I never stopped. Okay. Wow. So that's a good 10 years. It was, yeah. Cause I've been clean a year and a half. Okay. And I probably didn't start using heavy until I was like 22. Okay. Um, it was around 2013 and my ex had gotten a job offer in LA. Mm -hmm. So we moved out there together, which was a huge mistake. I'm telling you, it's just been an emotional trauma after emotional trauma. And once we moved out there, we couldn't find Percocets anymore. And we switched to heroin. Wow. And out there it's black tar heroin. And then obviously the, the more we did it, the more we did it, the worse it would get. But then once we moved home, we couldn't get black tar heroin out here. So we had to find something to keep us from getting sick. And one of my friends, we texted him and we said, look, we're sick. We're home. We don't know what to do. And he said, go to Kensington. And I didn't leave Kensington until the cops pulled me out in handcuffs. Thank God. Like, all of my charges are drug related and Philly really understands the drug epidemic that's in there. So they're not really trying to keep drug addicts in jail. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Which is amazing because we can't do anything for ourselves in there. I entered rehab about four days after getting out of jail. I mean, that was part of the, my release too. Right. The judge was like, if I let you out, you need to be in rehab in the next week. Right. Right. So yeah, I went to rehab four days later, and I was there for two weeks, which doesn't seem like a lot for somebody that just spent 10 years on drugs. Um, but then I got out, and I, I never went back to dope. This is my chance. Mm -hmm. This is the chance I have to save my life. Katie, propelled by the clarity of sobriety, is working as a line cook at a local family-owned restaurant in South Jersey and is beginning her journey in TCY. 
just recently, I finished my orientation. I got my 30 hours. Uh, both my case managers stood up and said great things about me. Mr. Ross stood up and said he thinks I don't have any problem getting through this program. So it, it felt really good to have these people have my back and see how hard I've been working. I think the people who run TCY are really great. They're really motivated. They're really smart. They they really care about what they're doing. You know, you can't have a job like that and just be like, eh, whatever, just here, meet the requirements and I don't care because it's not going to help anybody. It's not going to do anything. Like, I feel like if it was 10 o'clock at night and I felt like I was in trouble and called them, they would answer. You know what I mean? Like, that's how I feel like that's how much they want to help us. It kind of blew my mind open because it's like the choice is yours. Like they're basically it's it's obvious. The choice is yours. You either fucking do it or you don't do it. You can either go to jail and ruin your life or you can get your shit together and complete this program. The choice is mine. And that's as simple as it gets. I am going to make my life better, not worse. Katie really cut to the heart of the matter there. It really is that simple. TCY is giving people, people who are victims of circumstance, of terrible decision-making, the opportunities and tools to correct and overcome their transgressions. The choice is theirs. When a person is presented with the opportunity to build trusting relationships with mentors, deal with the circumstances that got them in trouble in the first place, and set new goals, they flourish. With success in Philadelphia, Jevs is now expanding the program. I asked Ed McCann what he thinks makes the choices yours work. I think the thing that's most important, I learned this in Philadelphia, and I certainly holds true here in Montgomery County. You really have to talk with people if you really let them know what, what you want to do and you get their input into it. And, you know, it, it wasn't easy, but we got a pretty good reception here, even from the beginning. And we went to the police and um, spoke with them. We spoke with the chiefs. We spoke with a group of uh, police officers from areas of the county where we get the most you know, felony drug arrests. And this was something that a lot of them were frankly looking for. And when they knew that they were going to get some input into this, that we were going to you know, not give them veto power, but we were certainly going to talk with them before we put um, candidates into the program, um, you know, they were supportive of it. And we've actually gotten a couple of referrals from them. The, the thing I would say that makes this work more than anything is the partnership we have with Jevs and the folks that we work with. If you have that group of people that is so dedicated to trying to help people and trying to make differences in people's lives and, and really one life at a time, it's really remarkable. It's the reason why it works because there's such an investment obviously of everyone to make this a good program. So if you have that, I think you could replicate it anywhere, but that's why it works in, in Philadelphia and that's why it works in Montgomery County. I want to thank my guests, Ed McCann and Kirby Garrity. I also want to give an extra special thanks to Jason, Trey, and Katie for sharing their personal stories. Stay tuned for a follow-up episode where we'll check back in with them and see how they're doing. I also want to thank PWP Video for their assistance in production of this podcast. They're great partners in creating media with a mission. For more of their work, visit pwpvideo.com. Our theme song was composed by Zach Wright. 
And some of the transition tracks you heard in this episode were composed by our guest, an accomplished musician, Trey. The show is produced by me, alongside of my colleague, John Colburn, also of Jeff's Human Services, and Michael Schweisheimer and Pat Ganley of PWP Video. The show is skillfully edited by Pat. Follow us on social media, Jeff's Human Services, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I'm Kristen Rantanen. Until next time on Where Policy Meets People. <laughs>